Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Hey, we're in our one theme, as Pastor Mike said just a moment ago, and I'm excited for this. You know, each year we, we take time and before the beginning of the year, and we just pray and say, God, what are you saying to our church? What are you saying? Who are you asking us to become as, uh, as your children, as, as a community of God? And in this, this way, this year almost feels like it's like a little bit of a reset. It feels like it's a little bit of like coming back to a true north, of putting the guideposts back in. And I really feel that that's what this one series is about. That last week, Pastor John preached on one mission, that we have to follow God. He's calling us into the Great Commission, that we have to commit ourselves to discipleship, and that we need to commit to bringing someone along the way with us. He challenged us. He said, um, that each one of us should reach one, that each one should reach one. And I think that's a really good challenge for us this year. Who are we identifying to bring alongside us in the journey? Today, we're going to talk about one message. Next week, Pastor Mike's going to preach on one God. <clears throat> but church, as a church, we have one message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about. I mean, you can't summarize everything into one message, but this is where the life of the church should flow out of. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the message. What, what is the gospel? Why is it good news to us today? Will you pray with me? God, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, we just humble ourselves. Lord God, just to come and just put everything on the table, God. Lord, to fix any of our misconceptions about you. Um, God, maybe even just to lay down grudges that we have against you today. Lord, we've come to this place just to say that you are the ruler of our lives. That even in my lack of understanding of situations, God, you are still king and you are still ruler. In the good days and the bad days, Lord, you are our savior. So God, we just surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we live in a world that has so many messages. It's said that today we receive more messages in a single day than many received in a lifetime just a couple hundred years ago. According to marketing experts, the average person sees somewhere between four and 10,000 ads a day. This is double just from 2007. I mean, if you'd even, maybe even think to your, this morning or last night, if you jumped on YouTube, you can't even watch a single video anymore without two ads. I mean. I think they're ripping us off a little bit. But every day we are bombarded with messages. Messages that promise us a better life. Messages that will make us skinnier, make us happier, make us, you fill in the blank. Come on, yeah, 21 days prayer and fasting. Make me skinny. No, that's not, that's not the right. Nope, that's not the message today. But what do we mean when we say the gospel? I think so many different images come to mind. You know, we're in a world that there's so many messages, but the church needs to focus on its one singular message, and that is Jesus Christ. That he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father and enters into the kingdom but through him. And so today, as we talk about the gospel, one thing I feel like we need to do is kind of set up the gospel. But in order to understand, you know, the gospel in its fullness, we really need to be able to understand the premise that's behind it. We need to understand the narrative of Scripture. Because 
if we're honest, if we, can, if we don't take a look at the whole story of God, we can come to the end of it and realize that we came out with something that wasn't the gospel at all. We can end up watering it down, and we can turn the gospel into something that is no longer good news, but just becomes good principles for moral living. And wouldn't that be a tragedy to the Lord? So, okay, before we talk about the gospel, I, wanna, I want us to, you know, take a few minutes. I'm going to try to do a brief summary, and I say brief, like brief summary of the Old Testament in about three minutes. So, yeah, you're, our seasoned Christians are being like, good luck, dude. Good luck. So, obviously, I'm not going to hit all the points. I'm going to try to hit some of the high points and some of the things that I think are really important that kind of set up the need for the gospel. But, hey, this is a really great opportunity for me to invite you into joining our one-year Bible reading plan. Uh, shameless, shameless reminder there. <laughs> so here we go. All right, in the beginning, Genesis 1, God creates everything. All the things he creates them in six days, including man and woman, and he names them Adam and Eve. Then God takes a nap. We could all use a nap. Before he naps, he tells them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what do they do? They eat. They get tempted by the serpent, a.k.a. the devil, and they eat the fruit. And through this disobedience, sin enters the world, and this is where everything goes downhill. This is where uh, curses fall upon mankind, and, and Adam and Eve are guided out of the garden. After some time, we see the world fall into complete chaos, and God decides to take everyone out and send a flood to destroy the world. God appoints one man, Noah, to build an ark, to house two of every animal and repopulate the earth. Noah and his family are the only humans allowed on the ark because Noah was the only righteous man and God spared his lineage because he had a promise. After the flood, God makes a covenant with man named Abraham, stating that God would create a nation through Abraham through which the whole world would be blessed. Then we see the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob, after wrestling with the Lord, is renamed Israel. Then we see Israel, which is the lineage of Jacob, is enslaved in Egypt for many, many generations. Throughout those generations, uh, after, at the end of those generations, Moses is born. He's raised in Pharaoh's house. He later sees a burning bush, and God speaks to him and wants to set the Israelites free. He says that his people have been enslaved for way too long, and he's calling them to freedom. This is where we see the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and this is where God then leads his people into the promised land, but guess what? They rebelled again. They spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around, and then eventually they make it into the land that God had promised them. They love God for a while, and then they turn to idols this makes God mad. He removes his protection, and they go back into captivity, and we see this cycle happen over and over and over again. They love the Lord, then they disobey the Lord. They go into captivity. That's basically the summarization of 15 different books of the Old Testament right there. God raises up some prophets to correct Israel, to continue to point them back to the way, back to the promise of redemption that God had told them about before they left the garden, to proclaim the future redemption of the world and the undoing of the curse. Isaiah prophesies of a servant king who will take away the sins of the world, and Daniel prophesies of 490 years 
where from the time of his prophecy until then when the Messiah would come, where there would be redemption and where the kingdom of Israel would expand out to the entirety of the earth and that the whole world would be blessed and everything would be brought back into the right order of the Lord. What's so wild is that during these times, during what was called those intertestament time, it's those 400, almost 500 years between the closing of the Old Testament and the opening of the New, where we see Jesus come on the scene, many kingdoms actually held up messiahs. Did you know that? That there was actually other figures that came along during that season that proclaimed that they were bringing about a great nation. You look at Alexander the Great, who conquers the known world and promises the the reigning of a kingdom. There was many mighty men who raised large armies, conquered the world, and then their kingdoms fell. It's like the world knew that its redemption was coming, but they just kept getting the story wrong. Listen to this quote from 9 BC. It's um, it's from the uh, Priene inscription, and it's about Caesar Augustus, who reigned over Rome from 24 BC to 14 AD. It says, It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia in the opinion of the high priest Apollonius, since providence, meaning the fate of the gods, which has ordered all things and deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, who she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving the posterity of any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the word that came by reason of him. Isn't that astonishing? You could easily replace the word Augustus with Jesus, and you would think this was pulled right out of Scripture. The world was aching for its redemption. The same, they're the same word when it says, Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings. This is the sa- good tidings is the same word that we have for gospel. In this Greek language, we could say, Augustus was, beginning, was the beginning of the gospel. He was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. And what's just even crazier is that this is just a decade before Christ. As if the enemy did not know the plan and the will of the Lord. If he wasn't there on the day where God had sent down the curses, but where he also, in Genesis 3.15, says, For you will strike his heel, speaking of Christ, but he will crush your head. As if the, as if the serpent didn't know that the, the king and the Messiah would come soon, just 10 years after this. It's crazy. There's no way that that's a coincidence. And they, but the people of God knew God's timing. Luke, t- Luke 2 tells us as it talks about the birth of Jesus, the wise men were tracking the days. They were watching the years go by and they were all, keeping it all account in the stars of the sky. That's how they knew when the Messiah would come and they could go to Herod and the baby Jesus would be persecuted and the the babies of the earth at that time would be cut off to try to stop the Messiah, the redemption of this world. You see, the world was aching 
for the return of the reign of God, the place where heaven and earth would be back in one accord, where the curse would be undone. You can almost feel their tension, can't you? Man, we just, we want the redemption. We know we messed up in the garden. Where can we get the reign of God back? It doesn't seem like you're, you're answering our prayers, God. So let's put our own kings in place. That's another story from back in the Old Testament. <laughs> you see, we're in these waiting seasons, and sometimes we can get reckless. We can take things into our own hands. We have the tension of waiting for the one true Messiah, and it leads people into idolizing and creating small g-gods and religions that create their own gospel, just as we saw about Augustus. Humans have been getting the, the news wrong for centuries, so it's not hard to see how we can still get it wrong today. How in the church there's so many different gospels that are preached. But what is the word gospel? What does that mean? It comes from a Greek word. It just means it, from a Greek word that's eangelion, which is that same word that we saw used of Augustus. And the word in its simplest translation just means the good news. The good news. It's where we get the word evangel or evangelism or evangelicals because we are people of the good news. So when we say gospel, it is interchangeable with the word the good news. And it wasn't common. We don't see it being used a lot because it actually carried great weight. It carried a significance. It carried a notion that this was coming with a royal decree, often denoting a change of a ruling of power from one party to another. And with that power would cause great celebration to go all throughout the kingdom. Can you see what God is setting up here? Jesus is the good news. Matthew 4, 23 says this, and Jesus went through all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Mark 1, 1 Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I love that. The time is fulfilled. The years of waiting are over. It says he fulfilled the prophecies and the law. Jesus is the one that the scriptures foretold us about. 1 Corinthians 1-4 through says this. Now, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first important what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins with, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance of, with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. When we say the gospel, we are making an exclusive claim. Where other people said the gospel, they were preaching a gospel. What's different about us as Christians is we say we don't have just a good news, we have the good news. Sure, there's good news in the world, but this, this is the pinnacle of all good news. 
Why? Because this good news changes everything. This is the good news that heals the broken. This is the good news that will set the captives free. This is the good news that says that the abandoned are now adopted. This is good news that brings the dead to life. Amen. So Jesus in his death, even though his creation rejected him, but in his resurrection, he claims a messianic victory. Transferring ownership of this world from the evil one, which we lost in the garden, back to himself. The evil one may have struck his heel, but Jesus has crushed his head. He didn't come with a mighty army and a legion of troops. He came with power from on high. He, he clothed himself in humility. He did not look like Caesar Augustus. He did not look like Alexander the Great. But yet through his victory, he robbed the grave of its power and told Satan, your time as king here is over. So now heaven and earth are under his rule and his reign. Today, we can take great joy because Jesus is sitting on the throne. Where we lost the keys and all dominion of heaven and earth, he's taken it back. Where he is ruling and reigning and we're in this time where we're just waiting for the Lord's return, when the new heavens and the new earth, when there's the restoration of the paradise of Eden that is actualized through this new heaven and a new earth, we're in another waiting period, but we're under his rule and his reign. That the kingdom of God is, it, it's in a weird way, it, it's here and, in, and it's yet still coming, as one theologian put it. That we have the actualization of it now, we have the full blessings, but the, the full kingdom is yet still coming when Christ returns. So now heaven and earth are under his rule and reign. You know, there's so many things today that I, uh, there's so many side rabbit holes I want to, I want to run us down, you know. Man, here's how baptism plays into this, and this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, and these are all the things that he's calling us to. But today, we have to just keep our message a little bit more focused. My wife is, she helps me edit all my sermons, just side note, because I, like, I mean, if you even notice in this moment, I got like ADHD brain. It's a blessing and a curse, truly. And, but I was like, Claire, you know, there's just like so much I want to talk about. There's so many things that I feel like God is revealing and that he's showing us. There's so, much, so many things we could take the time and, and break down. But there's just not enough time in one service. But I think that that's the beauty of it all. Man, the depths of the gospel. That, that we can be followers of Christ our entire life and it never grows old that there's so much that we're just going to, as a church, continue week in and week out to just continue to hit. So what then do we mean when we say the gospel? And this is, I can put it in my cl most clear summary, that the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is coming and is here. It is made available to, through us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by simply repenting and surrendering our lives to God. And in the kingdom, we will receive eternal life, wholeness, healing, and we enter into God's family. That's my basic definition. So this leads me to my last point today. How do we live as good news people? That if we are called to the good news, 
then how do we live today as good news people? I believe that we have to believe and stand and witness. You see, belief is more than just an intellectual assent. To believe is to know something in your mind, but it is just as important to embody it. To get it down into your muscle memory, it is a type of belief that changes everything. Not just a belief that gives me good emotions that are here one moment and gone the next. It is a belief that sees me through every circumstance of life. I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He wrote this book called Simply Good News. I would, I would recommend if, you, you know, if you're on your phone, you might as well just go to Amazon and purchase it right now. It's, it's that good of a read. But many people today, it says this, many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice but it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. So instead of suggesting that we could escape the earth and go to heaven, Jesus' good news was about heaven coming to earth. That's good news. The heaven is here. See, oftentimes the gospel in modern terms is, how do I get to heaven? It's not a bad question. It's just not the full question. Sure, but the gospel isn't limited to just where are you going to spend eternity. True belief is that Jesus has the right to change every part of my life here on earth. He's allowed access to the deepest and most hidden parts of me. It means that we model our lives to look like his that we will pick up our cross daily. It has to do with more than where we will spend eternity. If we're, if we're only worried about where we will go when all this is said and done, then we are no better off than the Israelites. The good news is not an internal insurance plan. Eternity is found in the kingdom, which we have access to today. You see, we can't adjust the gospel to fit our narrative, to even fit our own comforts and desires. It has to be the fullness of what Jesus and the apostles taught because that's what he told us, that it was all going to be built upon the foundation that was laid between him and the apostles. If we begin to amend their words to match our earthly trends, we begin to rob the gospel of its power, making it weak. In church, a weak gospel will produce a weak church. And a weak church will not fulfill all that God has called us to. I also believe that in these days, the Lord is calling us not to grow bitter, distracted, and impatient. It's hard to sometimes live as a good news person, isn't it? <laughs> There's so, this world is just, it's, it's filled with bad news. It's filled with hardship. Even this last week, we had a, just a, a scare with our son that's 17 days away. Come on, little baby shepherd, we're ready for you. But how even in the midst of, and by the way, everything's okay. <laughs> how even in the face of bad news can we still live 
as good news people. You know, it's, it's hard to not grow bitter sometimes. I mean, raise your hand if you know a bitter Christian, right? Maybe you rode here with a bitter Christian today. And I think that this is what God is calling us to do. Even in the midst of bad news, even living in a fallen world, we can live with the good news of great joy. You know, this last week, our staff, we took some time away, and um, as we do every year at the beginning of the year, and, and we just took a day where we're, as a staff, we just went and prayed, Lord, what are you speaking to us? Help us. What are you speaking to us personally? What are you speaking to us for the church? And in my time, I just, I felt like God was reminding me of something, and I think it's for us today too, and it was this, that the gospel is not just for the lost, but it's also for the found. And in that time, God was taking me back and reminding me of the parable of the prodigal son. And, you know, if you know that story, it's, uh, there's a father and there's a kingdom. It's a, there's a household where uh, they're working and they're laboring. And there's the younger, there's two brothers in the story. The, the younger brother is this um, kind of arrogant, entitled, uh, rebellious brother who says, give me the inheritance now. Give me everything now and I'm going to go on my own way. And, and that we see, you know, that he, he kind of ruins all of his inheritance. He, he gets into all the dirt and grime of this world and comes to find out, he's like, man, it was good back in my father's house. Man, it was good. Let me go back. Let me see if my father will receive me again. I think we're familiar with that part of the story, um, which is a very good part. But I think we're a little less familiar with the older brother. And I think I was identifying with the, the older brother a little bit. You see, the older brother is the faithful brother. He's the one that never left the house. He's the one that did his best to obey his father's commands, to work in the fields, to take care of the house, to you know, arrange the household, which is a very big deal back in that culture. And all of a sudden, he knows what his brother has done. He knows the disrespect that his brother has brought to the house. And as he's coming back one day after a long day of work, he, he's hearing music from a distance. And he's hearing celebration. And he sees that there's a commotion going on in the house. And he asks one of the servants, what's going on? He says, we thought your brother was dead, but he's alive. And your, your father, he's killed the fattened calf. And there's a barbecue going on. They got a live band. Go on. <laughs> go, go on. The barbecue started. And the brother becomes bitter. And it says that he refuses to go inside. And he comes to, uh, he comes to the father and he complains about the younger brother and how rebellious he is and all the, and all the hard work. He said, Father, haven't you seen my hard work? Why haven't you rewarded my labor? I wanted to celebrate with my friends, but you never gave me a fattened calf. But you're going to reward my brother's rebellion? The older brother has lost the joy of being his father's son. And I love the father's response. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. So you mean if I wanted to throw a party to celebrate life, I could have? Yep. 
You mean if I just asked you for some filet mignon, you would have given it to me and my friends? Absolutely, son. How easily can we forget that the gospel is not only for the lost, but it's also for the found? That today we have the kingdom of God. That means we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus this morning. Just think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. That maybe we've come here with bitterness. That when someone would look at us, they when that guy's not a, he doesn't bring much good news. All I ever get around him is his anxieties and his fears. My fear is that those who of us have been Christians for a while, that we've become underwhelmed with the magnitude of the gospel. When we first came to experience the goodness, goodness of God, it came with great joy. But somewhere between the loss of loved ones, the fracturing of dreams, or the unfulfilled expectations, we lost a bit of the joy of being called sons and daughters of God. The good news has just become common news to us. We lost grip on the reality of what it means to be adopted into the family of God, that he is our protector, that he is our provider, that if anyone was to get to us, they would first have to go through God. You see, we enter into the family. We enter into his kinship. And we need to realize that we're not just servants, but that this morning we're sons and we're daughters, that we're not a consolation, that we weren't a second thought, but that we were passionately adopted, that he passionately calls us his beloved children. The Father's given us every reason to rejoice and celebrate, church. He's given us freedom to celebrate life, and we have to choose to celebrate. We can choose to remember how our hearts burned with love for when we first received the good news. I don't know if you're able to take yourself back in your mind to that place. Man, when it just, the kingdom of God became real to you. I remember for me, I think, if I remember right, I don't remember the exact day, but it was, if it was, it was February 11, 2011. I was in a little Pentecostal church of God in Woodbridge, Virginia, in an evening revival service that a friend had invited me to when I was at one of my lowest moments in life and the Lord met me with kindness. All of a sudden, the kingdom of God became real. Can you take yourself back to that place where the Lord first encountered you? Because let's be honest, life is hard. Life is hard. You know, we, we have bad things that happen to us, but we can, these bad things can exist in the same place as our joy and everything be okay. There can be sickness in our bodies and we can still have joy today. We can be broken, but yet still be whole. Bad things can happen and we can still witness to the good news. Why? Because life is beautiful, it's messy, and it's hard. So what do we do with all this? What is, what is Jesus asking us to do? I believe that he's asking us to do three things as we close today. The first one is to repent. The mean to repent isn't just to feel really bad. It's not just to feel super ashamed, be ultra guilty. It means for us to change our mind about things, to change our alliance. Maybe we have aligned ourselves with kingdoms that are not in alignment with the kingdom of God. 
Maybe we've placed other things as higher priority in our life. We've set them above the kingdom and what he would have for us today. It's in order for us that we might change our minds and that we might just give everything to the Lord. Secondly, we need to recommit to the kingdom. Make the commitment to follow Jesus. You know, if you're here and you've never given your life today to Christ, I would invite you that we're not going to raise hands. We're not going to do that at the end of service. What I would encourage you to do is come down, talk with me or one of the staff members because the kingdom is for you too. The kingdom is for anyone who would believe upon his son that they would repent of their ways and that they would receive eternal life through him. And then the lastly is that we'd be baptized. I believe God is calling us to be baptized. You know, baptism is a, I said I wasn't going to go too deep into this, but baptism is a sign of the community of faith that we are committed to following Jesus for the remainder of our life. It's a commitment. It's a sign. It's a celebration. It's a ceremony unto the Lord that we are changing alliances. And I know that there's many people who've given their life to Christ here in this church over the last few weeks. At the end of this month, we have our house party, and I would encourage you, be baptized. If you've received the kingdom and you've received Jesus, that is your next step, to be baptized, to follow in faith today. And I want to end our time today with this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, We need to pledge ourselves anew to the cause of Christ. We must capture the spirit of the early church. Wherever the early church went, they made a triumphant witness for Christ. Whether on the village streets or in the city jails, they daringly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Those are good words to us. Will you pray with me today? God, Lord, we just submit all this to you. God, help us to search our hearts today. God, and just reveal to us where we need to repent. God, call us to better in your kingdom. Lord, don't let us be okay with our same old addictions and our same old habits. God, I just ask that you would call us to something greater. Lord, that we would be a city on a hill. Lord, that we would be good news people that would shine brightly in this dark world. God, and we can't do that if we're just so consumed by everything that's not of you. So Lord, help just purify your people. Give us clear minds and give us pure hearts, God, that we might seek you, that we might know you, and we might make your love known. So Father, we just come and we just celebrate you. Thank you for doing what we could not do on our own. God, and we just submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you thankful for Jesus this morning? Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.